This podcast is sponsored by valleygivesback.org. What will you be remembered for? Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what matter to you. Making a gift that costs nothing during your lifetime is easy and revocable if things change. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action inspires others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now. Give later. Impact tomorrow. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. Yes, we brought you the news. Printed the info, we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Change in market now threatens our lives. Hey, everybody, welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indies podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll. I'm a reporter with ValleyIndy.org. That's an online nonprofit newspaper covering Ansonia, Derby, Seymour, and when we can, Shelton. If you want to look up past episodes of Naval Gazing, go to valleyindy.org. Check out Naval Gazing under our masthead. Can't miss it. The noise in the background is my uh, rescue puppy. She sleeps a lot. I'm recording this Friday, September 28th, and uh, she's decided to just get up a little and move around. Go back to sleep, Sophie. So, guest today, Jim Gilday. I actually haven't done the interview yet. I'm planning to do it tonight at 7 p.m. over the computer, so the audio will be uneven, just to let you know in advance. Jim Gilday is from Derby. He is the chairman of the Derby School Board. He is the chairman of the Ansonia Derby School Regionalization Committee. (sighs) That's a mouthful. Uh, We're going to be talking about that, uh, some school board issues or education issues within the city of Derby, and... Jim is also the chairman of the Connecticut Commuter Rail Council. That is a group that advocates for improved rail service in the state of Connecticut, and that includes the Waterbury branch here in the lower Naugatuck Valley. We've had Jim on the podcast a few times before, so I'm looking forward to that conversation. Hopefully it went well. Hopefully by the time this uh, publishes, it'll be a good talk. But before I get to the interview, I wanted to record this intro by the way, this podcast is sponsored by valleygivesback.org. But I wanted to take a moment to remember Melvin Mason. Melvin Mason was uh, a friend and a colleague, fellow local journalist, who passed away September 26th. He was just 43 years old. He leaves behind his wife of two years, Allison, his stepdaughter, Laura, and it's just incredibly sad. And Melvin was just a good guy. In a lot of ways, he had just started this new chapter in his life after a rough spot. You know, he had, uh, he was the editor of the Stratford Star. I don't know if I said that. But before that, before uh, being the editor in chief over in Stratford, he had worked for the Connecticut Post for many years. He was their Valley reporter. So there might be a lot of people that remember uh, Melvin 
who maybe worked in city government or were involved in local happenings going back about, I guess, 10 years ago. I know he covered uh, Ansonia. It was actually before the Valley Indie launched. But I met Melvin through my wife, Autumn, who was then a photographer at the Connecticut Post. And Melvin could talk to anybody. He uh, First time I met him, I think it was on Elizabeth Street. I was in my car, and we were just, I think my wife introduced us, and then she drove off. I think she had just completed assignment. I don't really remember, but Melvin talked, uh, me and him talked for probably just an hour there on the street, first time meeting him, just sort of commiserating about uh, local news coverage. Uh, I think at the time I was still at the, yeah, I was still at the News Times at Danbury, so... Uh, he was giving me the lowdown of the valley. And he also lived in Derby. You know, he lived in the Sterling Towers for a bunch of years there. Uh, and just a, just the least cynical guy I've ever met. Just a positive personality. A guy with an ability to persevere, to always look at the bright side of things. I know that sounds cliched, but that was Melvin. Like, he was a guy who looked at the bright side of life. Uh you know, I don't. I didn't know him as well as a lot of people. I'm sort of inspired by reading his Facebook page, where people who knew Melvin uh, since they were kids are posting their memories of him. You know, there's one guy. He, he was from Brooklyn. Melvin was a proud product, uh, Brooklyn, New York. You know, the old school New York, not the Brooklyn we know now, not hipster Brooklyn. But you know, we're talking uh, 70s and 80s Brooklyn, and like this guy shared, he used to walk home from the bus stop with Melvin every day. And there was a kid who had a disability who was a massive Kung Fu fan. You know, they always used to show the Kung Fu movies. In New- I'm from New York too, but not, not the city. I'm an hour north. But what was it? W- NYW, I think it is. Channel 5, every Saturday, would have Kung Fu marathons. And apparently this kid with a disability was a huge fan and... They would do karate fights, uh, him and Melvin, and Melvin always made it a point to let him win, you know, in third grade. And I didn't know Melvin at that time, but the Melvin I knew, yeah, that makes total sense. So he was a guy, he was just a gentle spirit, a gentle giant, a guy that was raised well, obviously, a gentleman, a kind person. You know, that was Melvin Mason. He had great respect for the Valley, uh, like I said, least cynical guy I've ever met. And I'd even try to get him to badmouth people, you know, if we were hanging out. And we would do that on occasion when he was freelancing uh, for the Valley Indian about 2010, 2011. Uh, I would try to get, what's with some of these towns, Melvin? What's with so-and-so supervisor or that guy on the board of selectmen? And Melvin always looked at, like I said, he always looked at the, the, the positive side. Uh, just not one to be negative. Even when, you know, when I knew him, he was unemployed. He was a victim of downsizing, uh, you know, like so many in my industry. But Melvin just, you know, he just kept at it. And it was so nice to see him. You know, I hadn't talked to him in a long time. We used to have, we used to hang out quite often. But he fell in love. You know, he fell in love. He got married two years ago. And on his Facebook page was just, he embraced being a dad immediately. And, you know, I just knew in the time that I knew Melvin, it's something he wanted. You know, the guy, not to get, be a cliche, but he had a lot of love to give, you know. 
He definitely did. And he was just very old school, very old fashioned and almost uncomfortably so. Like I'm not used to somebody who's so sort of that outgoing, but uh, just instantly likable, you know. And I guess I have a son, Jack, and Jack's shy, right, or actually just learned uh, his shyness goes beyond, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with some delays of some kind. That there's, there's issues my son has that have recently been discovered that we're dealing with. But anyway, I say that because my son doesn't really take to people. You know, he doesn't like to even say hi or look you in the eye. He's just kind of keeps to himself a lot of times. And he, it hurts him because he knows he's this way. And he's only seven. <clears throat> and there's, he feels like there's nothing he can do about it. But he met Melvin... When uh, my son Jack was probably two years old, uh, I live in Derby, and I invited Melvin over, you know, a bachelor at the time, and I think I had two other bachelor buddies over, and uh, it was like my first time alone for an extended time with my son, who was two years old, and a couple of my bachelor buddies, you know, I had like a little get-together, and we did this ridiculous game, this Dr. Seuss-type game that required a lot of physical activity uh, outside, you know, it was basically grown men, you know, approaching 40, doing hula hoops and stuff like that. And Melvin committed, man. You know, it might have been the first time he met my son. And he was just like running across my backyard, sliding like a maniac, much to the delight of my son. He was truly a gentle giant and just a good guy. And it's just so sad that he's gone. I mean, he worked with Kate Ramuni, right? She covered the Valley for years. They worked out of the uh, Connecticut Post Office when they had one over the Bureau on Elizabeth Street in Derby. Kate Ramuni remarked on Facebook, you know, I, I once said in the office I hadn't had a home-cooked meal in so long. And the next day, Melvin brought her in a home-cooked meal. That was Melvin Mason. You know, I hate to say it again and again, but just a good guy. And I never thought, you know, we'd lose him this early. So... And then in just terms of a local reporter, you know, guy put in incredible hours, incredible hours, uh, you know, for little, not a lot of pay and not a lot of uh, appreciation, you know, in this era when it's hyper-partisan and everybody wants to take a swing at the press and everybody seems to be infected with this rage virus of partisanship, uh, Melvin took a lot of that personally because I would see it on his Facebook page. And I'm like that too, where you're just trying to do a good job. You're, you're basically every day, you don't want to make a mistake and you're, you try to be as fair and you try to be human to people. That, that's what Melvin was. And I'm sure he just wanted to, when he went to bed every night, just to know that he didn't wrong anybody that, that, that day. That was very important to Melvin. I know because I had conversations with him about that. And I actually had Melvin on our, uh, well, it wasn't on our podcast. We do, uh, the Great Give every year as a fundraiser. Uh, it's a 36-hour uh, online fundraiser for like a thousand charities in New Haven and, and the Greater Valley. And uh, two years ago, we had a bunch of Valley reporters on, including Melvin, uh, to just talk about what it was like covering the Valley uh, during their tour here, if you will. So here's just a quick uh, clip of Melvin in the Valley Indy office in, in Ansonia. This was a few days before he was to be married. Now I'm going to, let me interrupt for a second. Sure, go You have a big life change coming. When yeah. you, you're getting married. Yeah. On when? Friday. Friday. Friday in New York City, yep. Yeah, my, my wonderful, uh, 
my wonderful fiance Allison. Uh, she and I will be uh, wedded on <laughs> on Friday, and yeah, does it seem? It does it feel strange? It, 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 yeah, because I'm married too, and at first it's like in your it's like, why? yeah, what is going on? I know, and I'm, okay, I was going to ask you, like, you know, how how did you deal with it? But I'll just tell you right now, it's just. Oh, just uh, go rewind. The Dew Drop In was here earlier. He's got all my, how I deal with everything. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Jake Carlucci from the Dew. Yeah, no, but, uh, you know, you know, I'm kind of, I was, you know, I've been obviously uh, bachelor for God knows how long, and then all of a sudden. You, <laughs> you know, know exactly how long. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, obviously. Yeah, so, so it's a different, it's a change because it's almost like with me, and even my future wife will tell you this, it's like I'm very resistant to do changing on certain things. Hmm. But then when I get into it, I'm like, okay, this is not, this isn't that bad. And I think, you know, she kind of pulled me along in that way. And I haven't really had a chance to get used to the whole, you know, getting ready to get married thing because I've been so busy working. It's only, it was only yesterday when I was talking on the phone because she's in New York right now, you know, getting set up. And her name's Allison. Allison, Allison, mm-hmm. Allison Gardner, soon to be Allison Mason, which I know she's like, yay, about. Um, <laughs> she. Um, yeah, she, we should so, probably. Let me, what's her now? Let's check that. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> I got, I got my phone right here. Um, yeah, she's, um, she's, she's, she's very excited about it, and I think I finally started getting really excited about it when I talked to her yesterday. And my brother, she actually met my, she actually met my brother recently, my brother and my sister recently, and you know, and it was great to see them on a, on a personal note, on a much happier occasion. That was Melvin Mason recorded two years ago during the Great Give. So I respected him as as a reporter because uh, he had a big heart, and if it's any condolence or any comfort to the to his family, his new young family, you know you can see how much he was loved by reading his Facebook page. So rest in peace, Melvin Mason. You'll be missed. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't reach out and talk to you more uh, in the last few years. I regret that. I wish I had done more than just you know the occasional comment under. A Facebook uh, post. You were a good guy, and we'll miss you. So, thank you. Okay, so the second part of this podcast now is my interview with Jim Gilday, the Derby School Board Chair. In this interview, we talk about the Ansonia Derby School Regionalization Committee. He gives an update. They've been working since May. They have an important meeting coming up October 22nd. The public is welcome at all their meetings. Then we talk about uh, there are now retired police officers acting as security in Derby schools with more on the way. We talk about an advanced manufacturing program briefly that Jim is very committed to at Derby High School. And then we talk about some improvements coming to the rail lines that run through the valley. So here's my interview with Jim. Joining me on the line, as promised, is Jim Gilday, the chairman of the Derby Board of Education, the chairman of the Antonia Derby School Regionalization Committee, the chairman of the commuter Connecticut Commuter Rail Council. He does everything. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Completely my pleasure, Gene. Always happy to be here. So let's talk for a second about the School Regionalization Committee. Maybe there are people listening who come across this podcast that uh, don't know exactly what that committee is or what's happening. I've also seen some things on social media in various places on Facebook where people are 
or think it's a done deal and the schools are going to close any day now. So what's the purpose uh, of this group? Can you tell us about it a little bit? Yes. So this is a joint committee of the towns of Ansonia and Derby that uh, was put in place by our legislative bodies to study and investigate uh, the potential opportunities associated with regional, uh, regionalization. Uh, it's per Connecticut State Gen uh, General Statute 10-39, uh, which again uh, speaks directly to a temporary regional school study committee. And how many people are on the committee? Uh, I know we're rehashing basic stuff here, but how many people are on it and how often do you meet? And Are the, are the meetings open to the public? And Give us that kind of yes, detail. Sir. Um, so there are 10 members, five members from each town, um, the way that it works out uh, um, is that um, there's, there's I think it just worked out this way, but there's two Board of Education members from Derby. There's two Board of Education members from Ansonia. I know that there is a uh, two Board of Aldermen members from Ansonia, one Board of Aldermen member uh, from Derby, uh, two educators uh, from Derby, uh, and then uh, an educator from Ansonia as well, uh, who is the superintendent of the Norwalk school system. And how long or how many meetings have you had at this point? When did this start and how far along are you in the process? I would say that we've had uh, about five meetings. Uh, we, we started uh, in May. The first meeting was, uh, you know, like a um, more of an organizational meeting. So I would say the last... Ooh, two or three meetings, uh, we really kind of got into some uh, uh, meat and potato t topics and, and starting to, to move the ball forward uh, and start to make progress. Um, and for us, at, at the stage that we're in, progress for us is trying to uh, come to agreement and come to consensus on a consultant uh, who will, uh, you know, who will... Uh, uh, really help us uh, uh, define that plan, articulate the plan, uh, and ensure that the plan uh, uh, meets the requirements of the state statute that I mentioned. Um, we also spent a fair amount of time working on an RFQ uh, to solicit such a consultant, so we, we did a lot of work around that. And I think it would be a great time to say that the Nogtuck Valley Council of Governments uh, certainly has been uh, an amazing resource uh, during this process. What's their involvement in this? So they're, they're actually uh, significantly involved. Uh, uh, they uh, are actually the, the, the organization where the, they're the grantee. So we received a $168,000 grant uh, for this work, uh, and the grant flows through them. So in theory, they got the grant, they administer the grant, uh, so they really, in many ways, the contract for the grant is between them and the Office of Policy and Management, the OPM. So, so they're actually significantly involved and, and certainly a major player. And in terms of this plan that you've mentioned, so you're hiring a consultant uh, of some type to come up with a plan. So will this be a person or entity that will basically act as a coach and a guide, uh, sort of a Sherpa that takes you through whatever you have to study? Because I'm thinking, like, how does one even study an issue uh, like this? What, what's, the, what's the role of the uh, consultant, and when do you think you'll choose one? So there are uh, certainly a lot of uh, uh, steps behind this, and there's a lot of... Uh, 
areas that have to be investigated, uh, from enrollment studies to, to real estate holdings between both towns, to contributions, to budgets, to makeup, to buildings. So certainly uh, that's going to require expertise. That's going to require uh, people in the arena who are familiar with that, who've done work around that. So when we submitted our request for proposal, uh, for a request for qualification, we actually uh, received four responses. So it was really heartening to see that there, that there is a, a number of different uh, organizations out there, uh, um, you know, who who have experience around this. And when we did uh, interview the consultants, it was really they, they all really did, did a great job. So certainly, uh, there's a lot of expertise out there in, in this arena. Uh, there's been other towns that have either mer looked into merge merging, uh, have discussed merging. There's other towns that even interdistrict have looked how they could re reshuffle their schools to, to take for account a changing enrollment. So I think the point is there certainly is expertise in this area, uh, quite frankly, more so than I thought. And when do you think you'll hire this consultant? And what's the, I know you're not going to, you can't, say like how, exactly how much you're going to pay because I assume that's all still uh, under discussion but what what type of price range are we talking here for this consultant uh, well well I, I would say this is that um, uh, the grant uh, talks very specifically and it breaks out the uh, the amount of money that is available for each bucket um, so there's certainly different tasks associated with 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 the project, um, and um, I, I, what I would say is that the whole hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars clearly is not uh, designed for the consultant. There's referendum fees in there. There's administrative fees in there. Um, you know, there's there's public participation fees in there. So. Um, what I would say is that the, we had four consultants. They were all competitive. Uh, we're Certainly, we're not in a position to negotiate till we select the consultant, and I, I, I'm, cautious, I'm, you know, I'm fairly optimistic that that our next meeting on 10:22 we'll be able to select the consultant. So October 22nd. Uh, do you know where that meeting will be? That meeting is going to be at Ansonia High School at 7 o'clock p.m. 7 p.m. October 22nd. You'll hopefully uh, choose a consultant. And then uh, this plan, I mean, what what does this person or this group come up with? Are we talking like a thousand-page document that they give you weighing the pros and cons? Or do they give you a, here's what it could look like if you want to go this route, uh, and then yay and nay on that? Like, how, what's the process at that point? So the, the, the closest I could say is that I, I was able to, we were able to look at the Northford, Northford and Colbrook uh, uh, regionalization plan, okay. which is a, a very, you know, I think they went, underwent a very similar process to us. There were two towns that had declining enrollments, although I think they were even smaller than Antonio Derby as far as enrollment is concerned. And so they, they undertook this, this step. So I've seen the report, and it does. It, it talks specifically about, you know, which buildings would house which students, uh, what the five-year budget was. It talked about things like that, you know, what kind of operating budget you would need. It talked about the makeup of the Board of Education, you know, what each town, you know, how each town would be represented and what a Board of Education would look like. So it really does kind of walk you through what a, what a, a regionalized school system would look like, you know, so that when the voters, because ultimately this has to get voted on by the, by, the, by the electorate of both towns, so the voters get a sense of what the school system is going to look like, 
where their children are going to go to school, um, uh, you know, how they're going to be represented on the Board of Education, you know, what the initial cost may be. I mean, you know, each town has different real estate holdings, and, and, and there may, there's a cost to enter into regionalization. So, you know, it put that out there. So it was a very detailed plan letting the voters know what they can anticipate if, in fact, the towns were merged. And then this plan that they come up with, uh, let's say, uh, do you have a timeline as to how long it'll take uh, to, to create a, to, you know, to get a plan in your hands, or the committee's hands? So the state statute uh, does talk about uh, having this completed within a two-year period. And what I would say is, the, you know, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable thinking that, all, you know, uh, uh, all those who responded to the RFQ felt confident that it would be able to meet that time frame. And then does the committee at that point, I mean, you could reject the plan, I suppose, if they come up with a plan and, and there's uh, talk, it doesn't necessarily have to go to referendum. How does that work? Does it have to go to your respective boards of older men and women and then go to referendum? So, so I, I, I believe there's there's a committee vote, then there's a board, uh, like to your point, uh, a legislative body vote, sending us referendum, and then ultimately, uh, and rightfully so, the voters have the final say. And I know in the, I haven't personally attended any of these meetings yet. We had Ethan Fry, the other reporter here at the Valley Indy, I think go to the first two or three. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's been there a few times. Yeah, and uh, there was some, it was sort of free talk at the beginning. There, there seemed to be uh, some concern at the very beginning that maybe some on the committee had uh, already made up their minds about which way this is going to go. Where, where does all that uh, stand? Do you, do you get the sense that uh, people are going into this with an open mind? Is there anything you want to say to the public who might be concerned that this is already a quote-unquote uh, done deal? Um. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think Ethan did uh, capture some very, you know, uh, articulate discussions about, you know, being open-minded. Because at that point, and truth, truth be told, there's people outside the committee, you know, people outside the committee who weren't privy to the to the discussions from the committee. Uh, we're talking uh, about things like savings associated with regionalization. It was kind of quite silly, you know, to, to hear that type of talk, you know, on the news, having you know, hearing people talk about savings when we hadn't talked about it. We, we, we hadn't spent one second discussing it, um, uh, you know, and, and so for anyone to talk about any potential savings is, 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 is certainly premature. So we did have some honest dialogue about, you know, whether or not, you know, we're, people were open-minded because, truthfully, you know, I think it's, it's, it's certainly okay to, to be supportive of the concept of regionalization. But at this point, you know, and at the point we're in, we haven't done any work, you know, so, so we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know, you know, what the cost associated, uh, you know, with each town is going to be, you know, when you factor in real estate holdings. We don't know what a board of education composition is going to look like. You know, we don't know if you're going to lose the neighborhood school concept. So there's so many unknowns that it's, it's far too early to, 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 to be touting, you know, regionalization either, in my opinion, either pro or con until we do the work. It's almost like after October 22nd, you might be uh, at the end of the beginning, maybe. It just only really launches then once you get this consultant uh, on board, it sounds like. Yeah, and, you know, I think, Gene, I think that's an excellent point. I think that's really where it will uh, uh, take off, and that's really when, when you'll start to see some progress. And, and it may not be a lot of progress, you know, visible right out there in the open, uh, 
but again, you know, having a consultant on board, you know, an expert on board, starting to really delve into those the, the deep issues, uh, you know, is important. Hey, this is Eugene, most likely interrupting myself to bring you a word from our sponsor, valleygivesback.org. What will you be remembered for? Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what matter to you. Making a gift that costs nothing during your lifetime is easy and revocable if things change. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action inspires others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now. Give later. Impact tomorrow. Learn more at valleygivesback.org. And those will be things when you say not out in the open. I assume the consultant is going to be behind the scenes having to just crunch a ton of numbers and collect reams of data to bring back uh, to eventually put this uh, report or plan together. Yeah, for certain. But I would also say, though, is uh, I don't think any of us plan to do this in a vacuum. Uh, we recognize the need for constant communication. We recognize the need for public outreach. We recognize the need to, you know, ensure that our our the citizens of both towns are updated. And if they have concerns, you know, they're 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 voicing those concerns. Their concerns are being heard. I think it's important that you know. Uh, you know, we reach out to all segments of the population, uh, parents, students, seniors who may not have children in the school system, but will be equally impacted uh, um, by uh, things like money savings or, or, or tax benefits or, or the cost associated with the initially with regionalization uh, or loss of, you know, let's say, truthfully, I think you, you lose a little bit of a perhaps representation. Uh, uh, local representation. So these are all things that you know you don't want the public to be involved with and and not to hear about it at the last minute. And then how do you bring the public into a big discussion like this? I mean, of course, the public is free to go to any meeting that you have, and I know there's uh, uh, comment periods where people can get up and speak. But are you planning to make an effort? Uh, I'm thinking of like the downtown now that was done under uh, the previous administration in Derby, where there was that charrette where they really tried to bring the public in. Uh, like, how, how do you tackle something like that? Or are you, do you plan to do meetings all around Derby and Ansonia uh, to get people involved and let them know what's happening? Or I don't envy you trying to uh, get people on board there. But how does that work? I, th I think the committee um, publicly has talked about the need to uh, engage the public. You know, whether that be public forums, whether that be surveys. I, you know, I don't think we've fleshed that out per se, but but absolutely conceptually, we get the need to involve all the various stakeholders. Uh, because quite frankly, if we don't do that, then then this really isn't going to go anywhere. And do you think, I mean, this is kind of me asking you to predict a little bit. I won't do that because the work's only just begun. But I've heard about efforts to do this in the past before I lived in Derby. And uh, they were sort of shot down. And there is that sentiment that, well, this, this, this just will never happen. It's not going to, there's too much uh, history and pride involved. Do you think there's anything that's different nowadays compared to previous attempts to try to uh, get Derby and Ansonia to do something together education-wise? 
I think that's a fair question. You know, as you know, I was on the board of Ed from 1992 to 2006, and I was chairman for for 14 of those years. Oh yeah, so, so you're the guy so, to ask. <laughs> so we did. I mean, I would say that we've looked at it, you know, as far back is there. And I remember being with you know uh, Ruth Feinberg Connors, the superintendent of Ansonia then, and and, and you know Dr. Chesler at Derby. I remember having those those very discussions. So you're right. It's it's been a it's been a discussion for a long time. I'd say a few. There's a few different. Dynamics, um, uh, and, and the cost of education has just continued to rise astronomically, um, and our and so I do think that and I'm, that that's a variable that continues to, to widen, and it is becoming increasingly more difficult to offer the services and the education you want to. At the same time, you know, trying to maintain a, a, a stable tax rate. So I'm not saying that that hasn't always been an issue, because clearly, I mean, th- th- that's always been the age-old battle in politics, right, is taxes versus service. That's always been there. But what I will say, though, is the, uh, the cost of the service that we're in now and, and, and special education obligations and, and um, state mandates, and, and it, just, it, it just seems like the cost continues to escalate, and, and, and we're starting to get an area where, where you were, you wonder about having a breaking ground, a breaking point. Okay. Jim, is there anything else you wanted to add about the Ansonia Derby School Regionalization Committee that I'm not asking you before we move on? No, I think you've, you've really hit all the key points. That, and, and, and again, at this point, uh, I'll be honest, it's, it's been a pleasure, you know, uh, certainly getting to know the Ansonia folks, uh, you know, um, and working with them, and I think it's been very collaborative, and we've all gotten along very well. So it's, it's certainly been a, a, a very rewarding experience up to now. That's good to hear. Okay, moving on to another uh, Derby education-related topic. I saw an agenda, I guess a week or two ago, where the school, I might get the the titles wrong, yeah, the school district hired a number of uh, security-type uh, officers. Is that how I should refer to them? I don't want to get, I know there's very specific... Uh, I think we were referring to those as school safety officers. Okay, school safety officers. And this grew out of uh, something that happened at the end of the last school year during the budget process in Derby, as it, right before the tax board voted to adopt a uh, budget, which includes you know, a bottom line number for the school district. Uh, there was talk of uh, this pressing need to have an increased security presence uh, in all the schools in Derby. Uh, and there was this idea from the superintendent. He was working with Chief Narowski, the Derby police chief, uh, on what that would look like. And it looks like something happened. It looks like it's it's now, as of a week or two ago, being put into place. Can you explain to us what's going on? And, and I, you gave a, certainly a great background. I would also add in uh, the tax board uh, was certainly extremely helpful because uh, this is being... Uh, Funded out of a need grant that we get that reimburses us for for you know phone and data um, that you know flows through the city. So I would want to say that uh, certainly we've always enjoyed a strong partnership with the city, um, and, and and it's it's got again I would want to note that the tax board was a, was a certainly a critical player in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, to your point, the the, the city the police department uh, uh, and the board of ed, uh, I would say, came together uh, and we put a a plan in place to put school safety officers in each of our schools. Uh, You know, it's it's sad and it's heartbreaking, but, you know, the society that we live in, 
there just seems to be one tragedy after another. And, uh, you know, it was really born out of the fact that, you know, when you when we send our children to school and, and our parents send their children to school, you just want to, you know, make sure that there is a safe environment as possible. So we saw an opportunity to, um, you know, we had some, some grant money available. The city, again, worked with us, and we were able to uh, budget and then ultimately start appointing school safety officers to serve in each school. What I would say, though, uh, Gene, is just right off the bat, we were initially going to hire five, one for each school, so one at Irving School, one at Bradley School, one at the Derby High School, uh, school, which also, as you know, has a little Raider University in it, mm-hmm. and then one at Derby Middle School. Initially, we were very satisfied with three of the candidates, so we've officially hired three. Uh, we, one will be at Irving School initially, one will be at Bradley School, and just to roll the program out, until we get to our fourth, we will have one school safety officer that will be a shared resource only initially between the high school and the middle school. Um, we've had, uh, we reposted the position. We have a new round of applicants coming in. And then the goal would be to have that fourth school safety officer. So that way there'll be one at the high school, one at the middle school. And then we'll have a trained floater, a trained backup to cover vacations, illnesses, sicknesses. So that's where we are right about now. Okay. And I should just, as a, this is completely unrelated, but if people listening hear what sounds like thunder, uh, my family just came home from swimming uh, down at the Derby uh, Community Center. It's their weekly swimming lesson. And so the dog and the kids are running around upstairs because I'm actually recording this in my basement as opposed to the valley in the office. So I apologize if that's too noisy. But, uh, well, Gene, if we if we were in the office, we would have had to contend with trains going by. So <laughs> yeah. one or the other, right? <laughs> yeah, as long as they were on time. There were some problems today I saw. <laughs> But uh, these uh, security uh, officers or the school safety officers, are they retired cops? Are they carrying weapons? Are they with the Derby police? How does that work? So the first three uh, are, are, yes, they're retired uh, police officers and or state troopers. Uh, They will be... uh, they they will be carrying, but they uh, are licensed. Uh, they'll have a, a rigorous training, the uh, same annual certification that that police officers do. And again, you know, they are retired police officers uh, who, uh, you know, certainly are very familiar with 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 carrying uh, weapons and training and certification. So um, it's just you know we don't anticipate that to be a seamless issue. Yeah, I recognized one of them as a guy like from Derby originally. I think if if that's if, if I saw a name on an agenda, I don't know if he was hired. Certain, uh, I couldn't. I can't believe he's retired. Some of these police officers get to uh, retire young, uh, which is good for yeah, him. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and 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 yes, all three were appointed at our last. Meeting. Okay, so Dantona, John Dantona yes, was John one of them. Dantona, yes. Okay, yeah, there you go. There's a uh, a local name for people. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. that that's good news. Yes. Uh, again, you know, without you know getting too much off topic. I think that this certainly, we've made a series of, of I think, uh, pretty neat improvements going into the school year. Uh, that chief was the most important one, you know, providing a level of safety and security and comfort for our parents. You know, we also have our director of curriculum starting this year, which is pretty neat. We also were able to separate out the athletic director. Our assistant principals used to be the athletic directors. Uh, That's a lot of work. That's it. Yeah, and so yeah. We, yeah, we were able to separate that out and put an athletic director in so that our administrators could focus on administrating and educating. So, you know, I think we had a, certainly a neat number of uh, improvements in the school system this year uh, and, and the school safety officers 
school safety officers were certainly one of the more important ones. And one of the improvements mentioned that I've really not uh, touched upon or know anything about, but have heard a great deal about, and I have about I have you for five more minutes. I'm not going to keep you too late on a Friday night. But no this ad, this advanced manufacturing program that started up, uh, you know, we keep hearing these. Ma- you know, there are manufacturing jobs out there. They're advanced. You need some. Uh, you know, it's not like the old time manufacturing jobs, but they're high paying jobs out there. And uh, these companies have trouble filling the positions. Uh, so you know, it's, it's pretty neat because this touches both of my worlds, Gene, and, and so I, I, I get really excited about this. You know, for, for those who don't know, I mean, uh, if a lot of people know the volunteer work I do, mm. but my, my real my, my day job is I am the director of manufacturing at Bigelow T. So uh, I'm able to speak pretty uh, um, passionately about manufacturing, manufacturing in the Northeast. And the very fact, the, the very point you mentioned is that there's manufacturing jobs that that I, I, I could tell you that, that just go unfilled year after year. I just gave a, a talk, and I know we only have a few minutes, but I just was a keynote speaker at um, a Material and Manufacturing Summit Institute uh, at Southern Connecticut State University uh, with the New Haven Manufacturers Association. It was just interesting to hear, you know, the speakers from the New Haven Manufacturers Association all tell the same story. We can't fill our jobs. Mm. So we're really excited about the uh, advanced manufacturing uh, uh, center. Uh, I would say that just to give you a really quick update of where we are now. Yeah, like what uh, is it though? Like where where is it? And like describe that to me a little bit. Yep. So it is in the high school. It is in uh, uh, one of the vacant uh, one of the areas that we had um, in the building uh, that due to right declining enrollment, we were uh, due to declining declining enrollment. We you know we had some space available, so it is right there located in the high school. We. Uh, we currently have about 10% of the equipment in place, um, um, uh, and we expect the other 90%, I would say, in January. Right now, we offer three classes uh, for our students. We're offering um, solid works, blueprint reading, and benchmarking. When the bulk of the uh, other equipment comes, uh, you know, CNC lathes, CNC uh, uh, milling machines, you know, once we have the bulk of the, the equipment, then we'll roll out the full, the full curriculum, which we expect to hopefully happen in about January. So uh, that's good. Really then, excited about that. Who's like uh, financing this? Is this a partnership between the district and a, and another uh, group, or how how is that happening? So this uh, was, there was grant money associated with this uh, uh, program, uh, and we are working closely with Housatonic uh, Community College. Good. Uh, who, who just yeah, just again because yeah. I'm up in Fairfield, uh, I've had the pleasure of having some of their folks uh, work workforce at Bigelow T, uh, and so I've had the opportunity to see their manufacturing center, and they're certainly doing a lot of good things up there, and 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 they're actually a great uh, organization to partner with for certain. That's great. So some top-notch stuff happening. I would ask you about uh, the latest on uh, rail line improvements, but I don't know. Uh, I promised you uh, a half hour, and it's been a half hour, Jim. So maybe we'll have. I can to... give you a quick thirty-second, uh, real quick thirty-second update. Yeah, I'm when are they gonna? We need new, we need more trains. Darn it, new trains, better trains. We need these. Two, poly- sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, two I'm... quick exciting things. Uh, well, one definitely quick exciting thing. So the Derby passing siding is just about complete. They're now going to move on to the to the Beacon Falls siding, which is one of the four sidings associated with uh, uh, creating the additional trains and allowing us to to increase service. At 
the same time, the Department of Transportation has just entered into a contract with the vendor who's going to supply the new coaches and the new locomotives uh, for the Waterbury Branch Line. Now that's still you know three four years away, but we're, we're in, they're now entering into contract there. They are actually ordering an additional set of trains to to take advantage of the passing sightings. So I think that's that's certainly exciting news. And then lastly, and this is just a, really a small thing, a, a short-term thing, um, is we met with uh, Metro-North uh, uh, just Wednesday, Grand Central Terminal at the Square Bar building, uh, meeting with uh, MTA pres- uh, Metro-North President uh, Catherine Rinaldi and, 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 and uh, uh, other folks at Metro-North, and they announced that the uh, restoration work I won't get too, too deep, but they're doing some work uh, down the line, which is since severely impacting the on-time percentage on the Waterbury branch. They're just about done with, the, with that work, the track restoration, and within about two weeks we expect the on-time percentage, which has been terrible in the 60%, to climb back up. Oh, so that's my, good uh, news. There's my 60-second rail. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, you should, you should get a job uh, announcing somewhere. That was awesome. <laughs> like you don't have enough to do. All right, sir. Well, Jim, as always, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me and for uh, you know just being so open. I, I truly appreciate it. Completely my pleasure, and I want to tell you, if, if I could, and just leave you with one, my, my last party thought, is my favorite tweet, and then I told Ethan this, that I had seen uh, absolutely in, in the last probably year was your tweet that said, uh, you think $99 uh, is too much for an ad? Ask the Evening Sentinel how much they're charging. I love it, Gene. Uh, very nice. Oh, I got to learn how not to be bitter. That's why I like talking to you. That was classic. That was excellent. Are you kidding me? I loved it. (laughs) All right. Hey, Jim, thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. Take care, Keith. Bye. For hundreds of years, we brought you the news. For the info, we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always sky high. Changing market now threatens our lives. Post literation, critical reading, dumb down nation, signs of inbreeding, TV sucking ideas from our head, public discourse, just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Yeah, ride the dinosaur. Our readers are in the opens each day. We'll ride the dinosaur We'll ride the dinosaur
the dinosaur Deadlines, bylines, pictures too Ooh. An editorial comment for a buck or two Ooh. Fire down the block, the murder next door Whoa. And now we wonder what it's all for Whoa. Social media coming free to you Funny pages, the mayor's wages Criminal seats, corruption schemes Ink state wretches asking tough questions Well, ride the dinosaur Yeah, ride the dinosaur The presses are running all through the night We're printing the truth with all of our might we're platform agnostics, got that interweb too Buy an ad, see what we can do We still have subscribers, still have our fans We're here every day, so give us a chance Or we'll make an art stand Just hold us in your hand yeah, And we'll ride the dinosaur Yeah, ride the dinosaur